did like he's been smoking 10 packs of non-filtered camels a day. I didn't know who it was. He's like, Mike, I need your help. Uh, he gets this pneumonia twice a, twice a year, and it just, he's, he's out and gone. And so he apologized profusely and felt really bad about not being able to be here. Um, so he asked if I'd fill in, and I told him that I had uh, an article that I had done for Table Talk uh, a while back on ordinary means. And he said, yeah, please do that. And, and if I would also incorporate some of those uh, suggestions for making good use of the ordinary means in the pastoral letter that I sent out a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm only seeing blank faces, so I could just read through that if you didn't. <laughs> you mean you didn't take it home and read it? So One person. All right. That was good. Uh, two. Two. I got three. Two, three. All right. Got three. Uh, Calvin said only three out of a hundred uh, actually hear the sermons that he preached. And I thought, man, that's a pessimistic attitude. But, uh, anyway, uh, so I, I wasn't here for his class. I've read his book. I, I had the privilege of reading his, uh, no, it's okay. I don't need the, uh, the manuscript when he wrote it. I've had the great privilege of reading most of his manuscripts before they go to print. Um, he sends them out to a few people. And man, that is one of the best books he's written is Ordinary. Just so important for our time right now where everything's supposed to be extraordinary. Um, ordinary is kind of a bad word, right, in many ways. You know, I got an ordinary kid, an ordinary life. Um, we want to be extraordinary. We want the spectacular. We want what's bigger, better, exciting. We want extraordinary gadgets extraordinary kids, extraordinary lives. And we, we do this sometimes to feel validated as a person. We can't settle for what's ordinary. And sadly, our approach to church uh, sometimes isn't that different. And, you know, in a world that values novelty, innovation, relevance, the expectation is for pastors to appear hip, to, for worship to feel amazing, and for teaching to be useful for our most recent news feed of felt needs. We don't want ordinary ministers of ordinary churches. We want bigger-than-life celebrities who lead transformational movements that are in a rush to make a radical impact on our lives, right? Powerful, radical, relevant. Those are the words that, amazing, those are the things that we want, <clears throat> The problem is, is that it's unsustainable. It's totally unsustainable. Uh, you, you can't live on for that all the time. It's like driving around, you know, 100 miles an hour in residential areas. Uh, it just doesn't work. And we have to keep that in mind, that, that uh, God has ordained something that is quite ordinary. And in, a, in an age like ours, we might wonder, why would we bother planting churches like this? you know, rather ordinary churches committed to the ordinary means of word and sacrament. Um, that's an endeavor that seems backwards and counterintuitive. You know, you got to look chic. You got to look hip. You got to look what's, you got to look like you are cutting edge. Otherwise, you won't reach people. And that's often the mentality. Um, I'm always surprised, you know, when I do 
not very frequently, but when I do have some opportunity to go back to an evangelical church or um, maybe a college or um, be in some kind of worship service or, um, you know, uh, meeting of evangelical people where there's music and, and teaching, that it, it, if you took what uh, was chic and hip 15 years ago, it would look totally outdated and outmoded today. You have to constantly update yourself is the thing in that kind of, and it's wearisome, and it's, again, unsustainable in many ways. What we have to remember, though, is that the power is not in the presentation and in the gadgets and in the video system and the extraordinary. Uh, It's in the word. It's in the gospel. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus gave us our marching orders. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the goal, we have to keep this in mind, the goal, okay, of the church's mission is to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. And the means of doing that, the means of the church's mission is the ordinary ministry of word and sacrament in the local church. And that becomes clear when we consider how the apostles sought to fulfill the Great Commission. After receiving the power of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel, as we know, they baptized people, and they began meeting weekly with those who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It was very simple. It was very plain, very ordinary. Uh, There was nothing real, very spectacular about it. What's spectacular and extraordinary is the power that's in the gospel that transforms the heart. But go back to Acts and think about how it was then. It was pretty plain and uh, reverent, to be sure. Uh, We get that very clearly, don't we, from 1 Corinthians 11, when we consider what Paul has to say about how you come to the Lord's table uh, there was to be great reverence involved. It wasn't to be flippant. Uh, but by and large, the meetings were pretty ordinary. Just It was all word, word and sacrament. And the whole book of Acts, it goes on to document that pattern of planting churches committed to the ordinary means of grace and following Jesus' prophecy that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that's what they continued to do. The necessity of the local church for the making of disciples can hardly be overemphasized. I mean, apart from the local church and the ordinary means of grace, uh, we can't grow as disciples. We need to hear Christ proclaimed in his person and work if we're going to develop. That's our Lord's chosen means for gathering his redeemed people feeding them with his word, receiving their worship, nurturing their faith, and bonding them as a community rooted and established in love. The local church is a manifestation of the people who belong to Christ, and it's also the place where he meets them through the means he has ordained. Ordinary word, water, bread, wine. Those things don't look fabulous, spectacular, powerful, to the world. 
There's nothing particularly exciting or novel about a ministry of preaching, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. It's the same routine every week. We hear the scriptures proclaimed, we come to the table, we sing, we pray, we enjoy fellowship, and then we go home. Uh, There are no halftime shows, no rock concerts, no celebrity personalities. It's plain, ordinary, and yes, even a little boring sometimes. But that's okay. There's a lot of ordinary things that are necessary. For example, eating, eating a meal is ordinary. Is every meal that you eat just a, oh, unbelievable, incredible, that, that, those carrots I ate were, okay? It's not. And again, that would not be sustainable. Now, if you come eat the food I cook, you might, okay, but that's a treat. Uh, no, but you get the idea is that it's unsustainable, and yet it's something necessary. You don't eat, you, you, you can't grow, you can't be healthy. Um, you know, brushing your teeth, it's ordinary, you do it every day. You don't do it, you have no teeth. Uh, that's just a fact. But, you know, if you brush your teeth, you don't come back and say, wow, so pow- I had this powerful experience while I was brushing my teeth, you know. Uh, no, it's pretty plain and ordinary, a little boring, but it's necessary. And, and with regard to worship, we have to remember that, that it's necessary what we're doing. Now, sometimes it will be, it'll be our emotions will, will be gripped, and that's good and that's fine, but we shouldn't expect that to be the case every time. Uh, we, what we should expect is for God to show up because he's promised to through his word and his table. That, there's his promise. How I feel in some sense Don't get me wrong here. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. In some sense, how I feel is irrelevant. What's important is what God has promised. And we embrace it by faith. Because you can feel something that isn't necessarily good for you or true. I mean, you can come to a church and see a radical, amazing, powerful, extraordinary movie. And yet it wasn't something that God ordained. And just because I had an experience that, you know, really rocked me doesn't mean necessarily that it's the means that God has chosen to strengthen and bless me. It's something very ordinary. And, and it's very commensurate, isn't it, with his kingdom. It's consistent with his kingdom. His kingdom looks, it's very ordinary. And, and it, when we see his kingdom grow, it's like a tree that it takes a long time for it to grow. Like your sanctification, it's slow process, Ordinary, and yet something is happening. There is life. There is real life involved. And so we need to keep that in mind. Jesus said that the coming of his kingdom is like the growing of a tree. So yeah, you ever watched a tree grow? That's some exciting stuff right there, let me tell you. That's some exciting stuff. You know, I'll go out in the backyard sometimes and say, you know what, forget, let, let's just go out and watch the eucalyptus grow. Actually, the truth is, you can watch a eucalyptus grow. I have them in my backyard. And, and it, after a good rain and the sun comes out, you can hear those bad boys growing. They're going up so fast. But in most cases, you know, it's, it's, it's just boring, right? But that's really the imagery that the New Testament gives us of the nature of the church. He says it's like a tree. Luke 13. Mustard tree. Tree doesn't grow by big and marvelous events, 
but through the slow, steady diet of sun, rain, year after year. How do you grow? Slow, steady diet, word and sacrament, week after week, year after year. The only danger is hardening our hearts toward that. That's the only danger. Otherwise, if we come with an attitude to receive a posture of, Lord, you are going to speak to me today, the promise is you're going to grow. The promise is you're going to develop. Your mind is going to be renewed. That's God's promise. If I harden my heart to it, that's the only obstruction that there could be. So I come with a posture of, Lord, speak. Your your servant is here and speak. Now, that doesn't mean we should aim to be boring, and we certainly don't do that. And, you know, we might have certain preferences, you know, here or there that, you know, are, are nuances. But we have to keep in mind, what has God promised to bless? And how does the kingdom grow? How does sanctification advance? Well, primarily through the ordinary, plain ministry, word and sacrament, week in, week out. And so really, it comes down to is what is our attitude toward the ordinary means? Do we despise the ordinary means? Because they don't measure up to a halftime show. Because they don't measure up to you know, something that was thrilling and exciting. Um, you know, a roller coaster. Or do we understand that uh, the kingdom grows not by what the world considers a mark of success, big buildings, big budgets, big names, but instead it grows in simple and often small services where the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus gets all the glory there. It grows where believers and their children are baptized into the covenant community. It grows where repentant sinners come to a holy meal that appears tiny and insignificant. The kingdom grows where ordinary members of a congregation love, forgive, and serve one another. When you you are going to uh, a friend and saying, or somebody else in the church saying, you know, I'm sorry, I offended you, and that was wrong, my attitude wasn't good. The, The power of the gospel The extraordinary, supernatural power of the gospel is at work. Okay? The supernatural, extraordinary power of the gospel is not guaranteed in instruments that plug in. That you can manipulate that. You can manipulate, you know, the the music in such a way where it, it massages the emotions. Okay? But you can't manipulate the real power of the gospel at work in the most simple ways. When I begin to do the things that God commands. The, 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 the kingdom is growing in those long and late night meetings where there's a few elders, ordinary guys, giving of their time around a table for hour after hour after hour, month after month after month. Caring for the people of God. That's the kingdom. It doesn't come through, where's all the skyscrapers? We know where the kingdom of economy is. It's in New York City, Wall Street. 
We know where the kingdom of power is in the United States. It's Washington, D.C. And if you go to Washington, D.C., you will find embassies of almost every nation around the world. They're big, beautiful, powerful building. Where's the embassy of the kingdom of God? It's right here. In good old Santee. On these old pews that really need to be replaced. And that funky ceiling that goes... And then you guys always look up as if there's... Why are you still looking? You know there's nothing up there, right? Um, It's ordinary. It's plain. And yet the power of God is at work. That's what we have to grasp and, and, and ultimately appreciate. We don't need more movements, more conferences, more celebrities. We don't need the next big thing. And we're so used to, I need the next big thing. What's the next big thing? What is it? We don't need that when it comes to the kingdom of God. What we need are more churches committed to the way disciples have been made since the apostles planted a church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The slow-going, unspectacular, ordinary ministry of word and sacrament where God is raising dead sinners and creating a living communion of saints. By God's power and grace, we're growing together into a tree whose glory will not appear fully until the end of the age. And until then, the extraordinary is God's business. Leave the extraordinary to God. That's his business. That's not ours. Our task is to be faithful to fulfill the ministry Christ gave us, as ordinary as it is. Now, in this letter that I, I wrote up, uh, I tried to do a pastoral letter once a month. Uh, and the one that I wrote up uh, for February was, uh, you know, a list of ten. Uh, you know, there, for some reason right now our culture is all into lists, right? Uh, my news feed or my, my homepage comes up, you know, and the news is there. And there's always these lists, you know. Five ways to do this, ten things to do that, you know, ten best cities to retire in, you know, five worst places to walk your dog, whatever. And uh, it goes back to Letterman? Oh, that's right, tonight's top ten, right? Yeah, but right now it's really popular. So uh, I thought, well, that'd be interesting since we kind of think like that a little bit. What are ten things that we can do to get more out of worship? And so I listed 10 things here, because it doesn't always seem like church is the most important thing we do all week, but it is. It is. It's the most important thing we do all week. I don't care if we are, you know, uh, heart surgeons or astronauts or senators. I have a friend who's a senator now. That's crazy. Just crazy. Uh, And he would tell you the same thing, that uh, it's not the most important thing we do all week. The most important thing we do all week is when we gather together, even if it's a tiny place, and we hear uh, Christ proclaimed, and we worship the Lord, and we join together with the innumerable angels and festal gathering and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, we come to Mount Zion. It looks really ordinary. What are you doing tomorrow? Somebody says on Saturday. Oh, I'm going to Mount Zion to gather with innumerable angels in festal gathering. 
I'm going to the spirits of the righteous made perfect to meet the mediator of the new covenant, the King of Kings. Where? 10333 Mast Boulevard. Santi, that place? That funky building built in 1969? You've got to be kidding me. Or any place where Christ is proclaimed, His sacraments are administered, because there's the power of God. The Reformation was all about this, getting back to the power of the Word. So how can, how can, we, how can, we, how can we help prepare ourselves for such a great event? Here's a few practical things. Number one, remember that worship pleases the Lord. And so I wrote, too often we are preoccupied with how we feel about worship, right? If we enjoy worship, we're more prone to go. If we think it's dull and boring, well, we find it easier to stay home or do something else, something that we don't find boring. What's the problem with that attitude? It's all about me. Yeah, it's self-centered, ultimately. That, that's, that's not the right attitude. It begins with me and how I feel rather than with what God, how God feels and with what pleases him. So the first thing we should do, if we want to get more out of the ordinary means, okay, because I know it's, it's boring. Um, it's it's got to be boring sometimes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's particularly exciting and thrilling for me because I get to work, you know, composing these sermons and studying, and then it's, you know, I'm a minister, so I guess it's planted in my heart to, to just be so excited about the Lord's Day. But I understand that, you know, week after week, um, it can be a little dull. And I'll admit, when I was on my sabbatical last year, you know, coming and sitting, which was great, there were some weeks where I thought, eh, a little dull today, a little... A little sleepy, you know. Uh, could have used a little, you know, a little more. And uh, but how? What? What's the attitude we have to begin with? Remember that worship pleases the Lord. So instead of oh, not this song, or you know, here's here's what we need to remember: open your mouth and sing, because it blesses the Lord. But my voice isn't good. Stop thinking about yourself. Open your mouth and sing. I know you sound like a wounded animal. Not all of you. Definitely not you. You've got a beautiful voice. But uh, there's a few of you that have been gifted. Most of us are kind of middle of the road. The rest of us, you know, mom wouldn't even tell us that we're good, okay? But guess what? It pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. And actually, there's something about it, church, that sings. I remember when we first went to uh, Escondido URC um, years and years back, and we, we would sit in the back because we, you know, we had these twin little girls that had never been in church before, and they were crawling all over everything, and we were terrified, thinking everybody's looking at us. They got cameras on us, and we're going to get kicked out. And there was this elderly lady who would, uh, was always sitting next, close to us, and she, she was you know, close to 90, and uh, where she, she had to sit there because it was close to the door, and she would sing, and she was always off key, right? And it was, she would sing louder than everybody else. And so, the, you know, coming out of the church I did, where it had million-dollar sound systems, and you couldn't even hear the congregation sing because you had this band that was just so fantastic. And really, they, to be honest, they were a little caught up with themselves, but it was just so 
overproduced and well done that you, nobody heard their voices. It was just, you know. Then you go to the Escondido, and it's this old lady on an organ. And, you know, you come in and like, okay, I love the preaching. I get the liturgy, but it's just kind of clunky, you know. And then there was this elderly lady who would sing by us, and she was off-key, and she was loud. And the first few weeks, I thought, man, how am I going to deal with this? And after a while, I started realizing she is blessing the Lord. She is, and the Lord is pleased with that. The Lord is pleased with our offering up. Of, go through the Psalms and just see what they say. Make a joyful noise. Shout to the Lord. The congregation, let it sing. We should be loud when we sing. We should let it go and sing because it pleases the Lord. Not because we're in a performance, but because the Lord is pleased with the voices He's given us, even if a few of us are off key. Man, I came to love that lady. I came to love her and, and, and hear her sing and just think the Lord is pleased. It's so ordinary, painfully ordinary. And yet this is what God, how ordinary, how, how much does God delight in the ordinary? Yes, when, when the Son of God came, Angels appeared to ordinary shepherds. And how did he come? Can't get more ordinary. He's blood, placenta, and all. Born to peasants, laid in a manger. Wouldn't even recognize him. He wasn't tall and handsome, sexiest man in Israel, like Saul. He had no appearance or that we would desire him or... Or notice him, Isaiah says. Ordinary. God has his hand deep in the ordinary things of the world. So remember that the worship pleases the Lord. We go to worship because it pleases him. Secondly, remember, expect to hear from God. Come ready to receive food for your soul. Word and sacrament are God's chosen means to persevere in the Christian life. God says, incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isaiah 55. It's through the preaching of Christ that our faith is strengthened. Romans 10. And it's through the Lord's Supper that we commune with the body and blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.16. So in worship, God is serving us. We, yeah, we serve Him in a sense of our, we're bringing worship to Him, offer to Him acceptable worship with reverence and awe that He finds acceptable, and yet He stoops down and serves us. Just like Christ laid aside His garments and assumed the posture of a servant, and washed the feet of his disciples. The Lord does that each week when we come. So expect that he's going to speak through this very ordinary ordinary meeting. Uh, third thing I wrote is, is um, just, just helpful, just, just trying to be a helpful pastor here. This isn't law, but just suggestion. Lay out your things the night before. So I wrote seriously. We do it when we need to be somewhere important the next day, right? Most of us do. You know, lay my things out, get it all ready, I'm going to get up early. Well, why not do it each week when we come to church? You know, this is the most important thing we do all week. We're going to go meet with God. And, uh, you know, we don't need the stress of trying to find matching socks on Sunday morning, right? 
And I'm convinced that this is spiritual warfare, that there are demons that come and hide matching socks on Saturday night of children. You can't find them in the morning. And so I'm joking, of course. But, um, but lay out your things the night before. Try to get a good night's rest if you can. I mean, I know that not all of us can. I know that there's certain things we can't prevent, but there are some things we can, you know. Um, why burn the midnight oil if I'm going to be snapping my neck, you know, in Sunday morning uh, during the most important meeting? Um, so, so, you know, it comes down to sometimes prioritizing. Um, if you can, read the text beforehand. I find that to be helpful when I'm going to hear preaching, um, you know, Sunday afternoons, try to read the text for Sunday evening, maybe. And then prayer. Pray for your pastor. The Apostle Paul asked the church at Colossae to pray for him so that he might make the word clear to the people of God. I always think, man, if Paul needed prayer to make the word clear, how much do we, you know, non-apostles need the prayers of people? So pray for your pastor. Pray that the, the Lord will give him profitable hours of study during the week. He's not winging it. It takes some hours and hours of study to make sure that he's presenting God's word faithfully to God's people. Pray that he'll have insight into the scriptures, rightly applying the text to our lives, faithfully pointing us to the personal work of Christ. Pray that you won't be discouraged. Pastors easily get discouraged. They constantly feel like failures. They constantly, you know, uh, the, the first five years that I was in the ministry, I just, every Monday, I just thought, that's it, I'm, I quit, I can't do it, and uh, you, it's, you need the prayers of, of God's people. Pray for yourself. Pray that God will grant you a humble heart to receive what God has to say to you in the preaching. You're not going to hear Mike Brown. You don't go to Mike Brown's church. Mike Brown doesn't have a church. Actually, Mike Brown does have a church, and there's one member, Mike Brown, and it's a false religion. Okay, we all have our own church, don't we? Our tailor-made religion. You don't go to Mike Brown's church. God help you. Pray for your soul if you go to Mike Brown's church. You go to Christ's church. And it's the ministry of the word that we need to be attached to, not a particular preacher. The ministry of the word. That's what we need because that's how Christ speaks to us. And so pray for yourself that you'll have a heart that's open, and that you'll receive what is said, okay, even if you don't like Mike Brown that much, or you find him to be a little annoying. I would find me to be annoying. Uh, you're not there to, you're there to receive, and so pray for yourself and pray for him. Then here's a big one. This is a big one. Talk about the sermon afterward. Talk about the sermon afterward. Two questions you should never say to get the conversation going? Number one, did you like the sermon? Eh, don't ask that question. Number two, what did I say here? Oh, yeah, this one's good. What did you get out of the sermon? You know why I don't like those questions? Number one, did you like the sermon? Whether you liked the sermon or not is totally irrelevant. I mean, I like certain movies. I don't like other movies. It's not about liking the sermon. Was the sermon true? It might have annoyed me. It might have bothered me. But it was true. What was the sermon about? What particular problem of the human heart did the sermon expose? 
And every sermon, I can promise you this, every sermon that I compose and preach, it has a particular, it has a fallen condition focus, a particular problem of the human heart that the text is dealing with. That's why you know sometimes when you say to me, I've heard this a lot, someone just said to me this morning, man, I felt like you were preaching right to me. I am not preaching right to you. The Holy Spirit is using the text that has a fallen condition focus that's getting at our hearts. It's the power of God's Word. And then how did the sermon present Christ as the solution to that problem? And then finally, how did the sermon tell us or exhort us to live a godly life? See, why I don't like, what did you get out of the sermon? is because... That makes it subjective. That means, well, I could just, I liked his one analogy. I liked that it all becomes my personal preference rather than what is objectively true. This will, in the long run, these questions will help you. And talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it. Because you'll get more out of the ministry of the word that way. And if you don't have anybody to talk about it with, um, talk to yourself about it. Ask uh, yourself, what was it about? Was it true? What, what particular problem of the human heart did it address? How did it present Christ as the solution to that problem? And how did it tell us the way in which we are to live? Um, attend both services. Attending both services allows us to hear more of the word uh, and enjoy more fellowship with God's people. There's just really no good reason for... Uh, going only once. It's not the Lord's morning or the Lord's evening, but a whole day given for worship and rest. And so you have two meals prepared for you. Why not go to both of them? I understand now. Don't get me wrong. I understand that some folks live a long distance and it's not reasonable. That I get. But for a lot of folks, I think maybe we, we just don't see the value, even though it's not that far to drive, of going to both. And then finally, number 10, just show up. And so I wrote, so you stayed up too late on Saturday night, forgot to lay out your things, didn't read the text or pray for your pastor or yourself. You haven't given much thought about worship this past week, and you feel like a big loser. Just come to church anyway. God knows what we need far better than we do, and God has something good for you every time. Okay, if you have any questions, I'll stick around for a little bit afterwards to answer, but uh, I have almost 12, so let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the ordinary means of grace, and we pray that we would not despise them. We thank you that you come down and relate to us in the most amazing way through your Son, who assumed ordinary flesh and blood like ours, who became like us in every respect except sin. And we thank you that you continue to feed us by the power of your Spirit through ordinary means, ordinary preaching, ordinary water, bread, wine. We pray, Father, that we would not despise these things, but recognize that in the long run, this is how you will sanctify us week after week. Help us to assume a posture of obedience, not trying to stand in authority over your word or over the preaching of your word, but rather, Lord, receiving it with an open heart, open hands, and with gratitude. Help us to remember that worship pleases you, that singing pleases you, that assembling with your people pleases you. And Lord, may we know that 
you delight in these things, and may that bring us joy more and more. Help us, Lord, we pray, to discuss the sermon, to think about it, to benefit as much as possible from these ordinary means. We thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. We thank you for the way that you're so patient with us, though we are so stubborn, and though we fail so much. You never fail us. And we, we pray all these things through the unfailing mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.